Good evening, good morning, wherever you are. I'm Tom Steininger. I welcome you to Radio Evolve, our weekly webcast for consciousness and culture. I'm happy to have with me Tom Atley. Tom, welcome to Radio Evolve. Thank you very much, Tom. Tom, you are, I would say, a lifelong uh, activist and practitioner. You are very much known for your work on co-intelligence. And uh, I know your work since many years. You also are thinking about new ways of deep, deep democracy that you sometimes call wise democracy. And we are in a very peculiar time right now. We are in a kind of a meta crisis where a culmination of different crises are happening at the same time. And one of the crises that we definitely need is a crisis of meaning making that is more and more difficult to really create shared meaning. Co-intelligence, any form of democracy, it's all based on shared meaning making. If I may start this interview with the question, do you see that there is a new dimension of crisis opening up that we can call a crisis of meaning making? <clears throat> I, yes, and I would say there's, uh, it has many different um, subcurrents in that crisis, the most surface subcurrent, uh, most obvious one is the manipulation of um, images, knowing, framings, manipulation of all of that for certain purposes, not just by power holders who are at the top of the social hierarchy, <clears throat> but also by every player in the system Uh, overwhelmingly is trying to uh, put people's attention in particular places that serve their interests, their ideological interests, their prop, you know, power, profit interests, whatever. Uh, the search for what is most uh, real, effective, useful uh, is not what's going on in most, <laughs> in most contexts, whether it's in the in regular public affairs or governance or politics or economics, uh, the sense of let's find shared meaning that serves, uh, that serves the life in all of us is not what's happening. So you enter into this scene of this chaos of people pushing different frames, different ways of knowing, different ways of thinking about things Uh, as the way, the answer, the truth. Uh, and you don't have a whole lot of choice given what you're given to work with. You don't have a whole lot of choice but to pick something that makes sense to you and grab onto it really tightly because it's like grabbing the log in the middle of the flood kind of thing to keep from drowning. Uh, and speaking of floods and drowning, just the speed and volume with which information and perspectives flow at you, uh, the natural human effort is to narrow that down into something, something that has some kind of solidity. Uh, and so people are narrowing down into solid frames of reference that don't fit together. <laughs> so the, the effort to find common ground, shared sense-making uh, is seriously uh, eroded Uh, and that what I think of as being called for is new 
new ways to make sense together, new, um, new processes, new forms, new contexts within which it is more uh, collective sense is more readily findable uh, by those who are part of it. And that can happen in, uh, in relationships, can happen in groups, can happen in organizations, can happen in communities and societies. There's different methods or approaches that are appropriate for different levels of scale and complexity. But the situation is the same at all those levels in terms of not being able to find a coherent a coherent way to proceed and together to see things and move. But isn't one prerequisite of creating a collective sense that we find ways of mutual understanding? That, that this kind of process of collective sense-making is in itself something that uh, needs a perspective that we, none of us really makes sense on his or her own that we are always part of, of, of a process and that the, the art of, of allowing this process to happen is also how we create collective sense. Uh, um, I think what you're saying is that there's something with, there needs to be uh, some, some common ground to develop common ground on. And I think part of the common ground you're talking about is an assumption that whatever sense we make is, uh, is, should be held with some lightness in order to be able to engage with the sense other people are making. Mm -hmm. And that if it is not, if people are holding their, the sense that they have made too tightly, that the, there's, there, the boundaries are too solid for sense to move and evolve between the people, if they're holding things too tightly. Uh, I'm not sure if this is speaking to what you were saying, because I wasn't fully clear, but it felt like there's, there's some assumption, there's an assumption needed that we are going to find more sense together and we're going to go in different places than we already are. And if everybody is coming with, I'm not gonna change anything. I'm just here to make sure everybody else agrees with me that is not a context where collective sense making can be made. Let me ask, uh, or let me start the question with uh, one phrase that uh, at least I know you for, uh, uh, co-intelligence. Co co-intelligence is an, is an interesting wording because uh, we, we, we all are familiar with what the word intelligence means, although we have different interpretations. But co-intelligence uh, has a certain thing that we don't have this on our own. So why is this word important for you? What's the concept behind it and how does it help? Well, the original framing I had in the late 80s uh, was, I, I, thought, I thought of intelligence as um, mediating the boundary between our internal world and the external world. You know, it's like when you understand something, it's like you have a model or a narrative or something in your cognitive world that is that reflects the patterns that are out there in the other in the world. And so you can behave in ways that work, mm -hmm. that function for you in your relationship with the rest of the world. Uh, 
And I think of that as what intelligence is and that the co-intelligence has to do with how, uh, sort of how participatory and engaged that process of intelligence is in the sense that there's reality is ex reality, external reality at least, is very complex. There's lots of stuff going on and we need viewpoints that we don't have. We need experiences that we don't have. We need capacities of seeing and knowing that we don't have individually. And so having other people, other perspectives enter into the sense-making uh, and dance together. <laughs> it's not just, oh, we put it, we get all the pieces of the puzzle and we can put the, lay the puzzle out on the board. There's a dancing that's going on an evolving and emergent kind of thing that happens. Uh, and that is more, allows for a greater approximation of understanding about what's going on. You can make better maps to use the map in the territory metaphor. You can make better maps of the territory if you have people from all over the territory all over the ecosystem coming in and working on building the map. The blind men and the elephant, that story is always great. You know, they all, they all have their separate maps, but if they talk yeah. together and try and figure out how can you have something that's like a snake and a, and a leaf and a wall? I mean, what is this thing that we're all, that we're all working on? Uh, then you can get better approximations of what's going on in mm -hmm. the world. If you have that, so that's a big, a big part of co-intelligence. Why, why do we need a new word for that? Because what, you, what you're describing right now, everyone, I think, would agree that, of course, in any kind of decision-making program uh, situ situation, maybe private in relationship or in a democratic context, we do need each other. I think uh, hardly anyone would disagree with that. But it seems that you're honing on something very particular that we usually don't see. Uh, well, when you say we, everybody would agree that we need each other. Well, first of all, I don't think that's true. I think there's a whole sections of society that don't think that, uh, rather have the other disappear, uh, but need each other in what way and how, uh, and since I'm, I'm thinking in terms of our, uh, trying to combine that need each other with uh, the ability to gain deeper insight and more capacity. My, I have a thing called the, I call it the prime directive, sort of tongue in cheek from uh, Star Wars, uh, Star Trek. Uh, and the prime directive for the, my Wise Democracy project is to evoking and engaging the wisdom and resourcefulness of the whole on behalf of the whole. And that's something which when you get into, what are the implications of evoke? Uh, it's like there's a sense that there is wisdom already buried in the whole. And that is like everyone who's involved, the whole situation. There's wisdom buried there, but the things people know about it are very partial and separate from each other. And so having all the pieces come together and then evolve together into greater, you know, the higher level understanding of what's happening and what's, what's involved. Uh, 
that's something a lot of people haven't even experienced. The society is so built on competitive and assertive and fragmented and individualized kinds of frames of reference that people don't know what, how to do that or what, what, if you did that, what would you get? What would you have? I mean, my overwhelming experience in talking to people in general is particularly in the political world is there's nothing to do except fight for your piece of the puzzle against the other people's pieces of the puzzle. The sense that there's something bigger that would be accessible if you actually work together. I think an awful lot of people think cooperation, collaboration is we build more force to go in a particular direction. The sense of, uh, you know, get something done by people working together. And that's true, but the something that you're getting done can be evolving too. <laughs> the sense that there's a, there's a, there's more and better that's available through the interaction of different perspectives and different parts of the puzzle. I don't think is all that familiar. And I don't know what the word is. I mean, synergy is a word, but already so many of my friends who are not in this work think the word synergy is just business buzz talk. But it doesn't really have meaning <laughs> in and of itself. It's just a gigantic loss. You know, right. So I don't know I what the word is that you say, why do you need a new word? I go, well, what's your word? I'm happy to hear it. <laughs> no, but but, but uh, you said a, a very interesting word, a, a very interesting combination of words. When you talked about wisdom, uh -huh. you said the wisdom of the whole. Mm -hmm. And that's not the way we usually think about or talk about wisdom. Even <laughs> if we talk about deep wisdom, it's usually, it's my wisdom, your wisdom, or, or maybe even a group wisdom, whatever, but the wisdom of the whole uh, is something that I would say is a very unusual way of phrasing it. And I think that's pointing to something because I, as, I, as I try to understand where you're getting it, is that the wisdom of the whole is, a di is something different than my Thomas wisdom. Hmm. And my question, yeah, yeah. is that true? And if that is so, what is this wisdom of the whole about? Uh, there's so many pieces that wholeness is the underlying principle under all the all the work that I do. And many there's so many ways people have of talking about wholeness and what wholeness is. And what I do is collect those and put them all together into a whole a vision of the whole that includes that includes lots includes lots of there's lots of different background is one of my models of wholeness that includes about you know 50 or 60 different frames of what wholeness is uh so the wisdom of the whole can be the wisdom of all the parts collected and interactive all the parts of the whole collected and interactive it could be the wisdom that that comes from evolving wholeness the wholeness is always evolving the way things are and how they all fit together is always shifting and so part of the wisdom of the whole is the kind of humility and curiosity and openness that allows you to dance with that ever-changingness that is characteristic of the whole and there's also the whole the wholeness in the sense of <clears throat> non-dual reality or um, um, beyond 
beyond human or beyond material existence. That kind of wholeness that you tune into and become part of uh, also has wisdom built into it. And it's like there's all these different dimensions of wholeness, all of which apply when I talk about evoking and engaging the wisdom of the whole. Uh, but at the very practical level, it's like, who else should be part of this conversation? Like what, what part of the whole of whatever it is we're talking about are we not including in this interaction? Mm -hmm. uh, what kinds of information, what ways of knowing are we ignoring, marginalizing, excluding, totally oblivious of, you know, and the sense of including, welcoming, with full knowledge that we're, <laughs> there's a level of, uh, of tolerance. How much can you take? How much inclusion can you take? Uh, there's a whole mm -hmm. word called capacitance that mm -hmm. is for your capacity to hold things which don't naturally fit together. And there's discomfort, you know, the paradox and mm -hmm. the complexity and all that mm -hmm. conflict. So all those things are part of trying to evoke and engage the wisdom of the whole. And the whole has capacities also, the resourcefulness. I said wisdom, evoke and engage the wisdom and resourcefulness of the whole. When you have wisdom, the whole has its wisdom. The whole has a, a much greater uh, understanding than any of the parts have. And then the whole can move ahead mm -hmm. and generate more capacity to actually do things in the world mm -hmm. than any of the parts could. But does this not does this not uh, is, is this not based on an assumption that we have yes. <laughs> a perception of wholeness? Because it, ah. let's look when we look at when we look at the conversation that we are having right now, uh, and there's there are thousands of miles apart, uh, two continents, one ocean, and and, and here, here we are talking and. Uh, Both of us, we may have wisdom, we maybe don't have wisdom, whatever, but there is a conversation that in itself creates also its own wholeness. And if you talk about uh, a wisdom of wholeness or intelligence of wholeness, uh, there must be a perception of this wholeness. How, how do we perceive wholeness? I don't think, well, again, it's a, Who, who are you saying is, needs to perceive the whole? Is it the people who are part of it or somebody else? Or what's, when you say the perception, it's abstracted. In the where, end, I mean myself. Hmm? In the end, I mean myself, whoever that self is. Uh-huh, okay. Um, well, that's, that I have questions of. I think there are some kinds of wholeness, some circumstances, some you know, situations processes wherever where that is true but there's others where it isn't and there's a funny way in which i place most of my hope in the latter uh -huh. uh, the idea of being able to bring ordinary people together people who are not particularly advanced in their knowledge or consciousness mm -hmm. or whatever uh and because if they are chosen for their diversity and you have a good, <clears throat> a, uh, um, a good process to have that diversity interact so it doesn't get in, 
the diverse pieces don't get in each other's way. They are additive or generative. Uh, so there's space for emergence. And what comes out of that uh, can be, <laughs> it's funny, what, what I'm seeing how, you, what comes out of that is in processes that do that well, there's a, people don't think in terms of wholeness necessary, but they go, there can be a collective aha about something through the conversation, something happens where everybody goes, yes, that's it. That's what makes sense here. Uh, and yes, in those circumstances, everybody, everybody is, uh, is seeing the same thing. Uh, and that could be said as being conscious of the whole. <clears throat> but there's also, th there's, there's a process, the um, online um, participatory polling thing called Paulus, and it has an artificial intelligence that as people are, people generate statements and then vote on each other's statements in the sense of agree, disagree, to randomly presented statements to them. Uh, and they go through both those actions and there could be hundreds of different statements. And the, the AI, the artificial intelligence is sorting them into a number of groups of common shared belief you know, the, these people tended to vote, agree or disagree on this particular statement. Uh, and so it's sorting them all. Like you go on Amazon and say, people who like this book also like this book, you know, uh, that kind of AI, it's sorting you into, into groups of common, common interest or belief. But then it's other thing that it does is note for each one of the statements, what the level of agreement is between those different groups. It's not what the overall agreement is it's between these groups that are defined by their differences. Mm -hmm. And so there can be an emergent, emergent uh, consensus statements that none of the participants even know about. There's a report at the end that points out those, but it's, it comes to the same kinds of outcomes as some forms of dialogue and conversation, but it's not a dialogue or conversation. <laughs> and that's part of one of the things I'm really impressed with. And it's part of the way I think about collective process now that it taps into individuals' understandings and sorts them in a way that generates <clears throat> consensus statements about you know, ways of understanding something or what to do about something or whatever. Uh, so then in that case, there is no consciousness. They don't, they don't, the people who create it do not create it to make decisions. They created it to provide awareness of an ecosystem of perspectives, which then goes into live conversation. And in the live conversation, you can make a decision and you, there may be things to think about. The statement that everybody agrees with is that actually something we should do? <laughs> or here's something people disagree with, but if we tweak it this way, we can get something that's more agreeable. That dance between these different modes is what, what fascinates me. Uh, but the, oh, um, what's his name? Jean-Francois Jean Nobel, do you know him? Jean-Francois Nobel is one of uh, an original thinker and writer on collective intelligence. 
And he has a word for your, the thing you were talking about, uh, the, the part knowing the whole. Uh, um, the panopticism is the center, the power center seeing everything. Holopticism is the whole seeing everything. So the whole community is seeing itself and anything which fits that is whole optical, mm-hmm. whole opticism. So yeah, there's an it's an interesting word. He he did it in response to panopticism, which is in the intelligence community, the way you are tracking everything everybody is doing. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. the ultimate goal is to track everything that's going on from well, the what center. Do, what do you think about that? Do you think that's that's for real? Does something like this exist? Like the whole opt? It's the capacity is growing rapidly. Uh-huh. The, capacity, the capacity for panopticism is growing rapidly. The capacity for uh, there's there's many examples of whole opticism going on. It is not increasing. That capacity is not increasing anywhere near as rapidly as the as the panopticism. I'm afraid, but but the two concepts are really intriguing. And once uh-huh. you understand whole opticism that gives you a target to shoot for, something to, to work to develop. But if you say that uh, uh, they're increasing, uh, the, uh, why, why is that so? Do you have any explanations for that? What's what's going on? <clears throat> Which one? Pan. The pan, panopticism? Yeah. Or, yeah, well, yes, it c- creates control. You know, that's what, it's like the, the probably the leading culture in doing this is China, particularly uh-huh. with that, the, the centers, the, the, the subculture, I don't know how to pronounce it, there's, but there's a group that China is definitely oppressing and tracking and you know, controlling a whole subculture in the north part of its country. Uh, and they have, they know so much about everybody who is there and they've tracked their movements. And I've read several articles in Wired Magazine about the mm-hmm the uh, capacities that are developed to have multiple feeds of information going into a database that an AI makes sense of. It can then if, you know, know everything about you and you know, all your comings and goings from all your smartphones, your, your Facebook entries, all this stuff gets integrated in one place. Mm-hmm. And the AI, you can then ask the AI a question about you and the AI within seconds can describe what you're probably going to do and where you're going to be in, you know, 10 minutes from now. It's like there's so much tracking and data, what they call um, big data. There's big data is the combination of all these different threads that you have. And that's part of what in the Trump election, this Cambridge Analytica and in the, did you track that all Cambridge Analytica? And so they are they were no figuring out how to individually target messages for people. You know, this is not a whole categories or subculture they're doing. They're, they're doing this message for you okay. and, and the ability to do that, manipulate your mind. But to give you an example of, of, uh, of proto uh, holopticism is something that was done by McLean's magazine. It's in my field, of, you know, politics and governance. Uh, in McQueen's magazine is Canada's 
Time Magazine, you know, your your um, Der Spiegel is it that is sort of the glossy news news weekly. So, um, McLean's magazine selected twelve people for their differences, for their ability in those twelve people to represent a lot of different demographic diversity in in Canada, mm-hmm. and they hired Roger Fisher who is a co-author of Getting to Yes, a very famous negotiation book, which transformed negotiation. Uh, and he's at Harvard, Harvard Negotiation Project. They hired him and a couple of his colleagues to come up for a long weekend, you know, three days to, uh, to Canada to take these 12 people and have them create a vision of Canada together. And this is when Quebec's trying to secede from the union and the, you know, First Nations people are going, this is, what do you mean we're including, you're, you're on our land. What do you mean you're trying to do stuff for us? You know, it's like a whole, everything. And the provinces had virtually no connection to the scene. There was, there was a question of whether there was really a Canada in any meaningful sense. And so this was an effort to see what could be done. They'd have lots of dialogues of other kinds. Anyway, they, they McLean's and Canadian TV covered it in ways that all Canadians could experience what happened. Uh-huh. It's like 40 pages of coverage in McLean's. And I have a page where I've, I've analyzed, I hired somebody to investigate it, an investigative reporter that I knew. And then I did a bunch of my own analytics of it. And hardly anybody notices this amazing initiative, but 40 pages of coverage. When has Der Spiegel or Time ever used 40 pages on anything? But they did profiles of each of the 12 people. So the first thing when you're reading through this magazine mm-hmm. is you, you find who you like and who you don't like. <laughs> you know, the drama is set up for you. And then they do what we call in English a blow-by-blow account. Here's what happened at, you know, 7.30 on Friday and mm-hmm. what happened to these people. And you see, it's like Joe Schmo said this and Margaret Beale said this. And it's just like, like, a, like reading a script in a play. And you see, um, in one case, it's photographs of these people, and they are, you know, their hands are crossed in their chests or their heads in their hands, whatever, all these stressful oppositional kinds of body language. Uh, and then you track each day what's happening. And by the end of the, by the end of Saturday, things are totally falling apart. Uh, there's been lots of discussion, but nothing, nothing has come. And there's a conversation at dinner on Saturday between a Canadian woman and a Quebec woman, and they make an emotional breakthrough. And the Quebec woman says that this is possible, anything's possible. And the next morning she she goes to the indigenous woman and she says, what's it like for you? She's felt what it's like for her to be heard. Now she's going out and really hearing the indigenous woman and there's a breakthrough for them. The facilitators had very little to do with that. Uh But while this was going on, uh, Roger Fisher and his his uh, and some of his people were going around looking at all the chart pads from all the all the notes that have been taken from the discussions, trying to generate something that they might be able to agree on. So by Sunday morning, there's a mixture of the relational breakthrough, and into that, Roger Fisher delivers his sort of summary of what they've talked about so far, and they spend Sunday editing and talking about this statement of what they want to put out for the world and mm-hmm. they put it out and it's printed and at the end you see you see you see the pictures of them sitting by the pool doing this retreat center you know working on this stuff together and then 
you see them at the end, they're saying goodbye to each other and they're all hugging each other. And it's like the images, both the images and the, and the, uh, the words are so different from the beginning and the end. And you saw how it happened. You saw how this bad guy ended up talking to the good guy and they came to something and it's just like, whoa, you have watched, you have millions of Canadians, both in the public, uh, the public affairs broadcasts on TV, Canadian TV and in McQueen's magazine witnessed a different kind of conversation than they'd ever seen before. And what was possible. You would never think that these people would ever come up with something they all were excited about. And, and I, one of the things I hired this guy to find out is what happened in Canada after this magazine was published? Exactly. You know, and, and what happened was lots of people saying, why don't we do this kind of thing more often? And calling in politicians to be, you know, answer what, why aren't we doing this? And the got out of hand for the politicians. They threw oil on the water. And for me, the biggest failure of McQueen's was they didn't do it again the next year. Uh-huh. They thought they, were, they didn't recognize they had a democratic innovation. They just thought it was a, a fancy focus group. But if they'd seen it as what would happen if we institutionalized this? What if we did this every year and had the whole society watch its diversity interact in creative ways? Mm-hmm. You know, that that's, that's an example of holopticism. They didn't know they were creating holopticism, but they did. And what's so weird for me is on the 20th anniversary of the McLean's thing in 2010, 2009, I tried to contact colleagues in Canada and say, mm-hmm. why don't you do a 20th anniversary version of this thing? Get, get McLean's to do this again. And they're going, why would we do that? And I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to answer. It's like, isn't it obvious that there's something about mm-hmm. what happened there and why it is special that mm-hmm. is invisible to people mm-hmm. because they don't have the same inquiry. The inquiry, how do you evoke and engage the wisdom and resourcefulness of the whole on behalf of the whole is a different kind of consciousness, a different kind of looking at things, a different kind of asking questions and looking for mm-hmm. resources that most people just, let's get people to talk together. I mean, at the leading edge is being able to take people who are in conflict and have them come to a resolution. That's as far as it goes. <laughs> it seems There's so much more. <laughs> it seems to me that for a while, without naming it, we are already talking into the vision that you also call wise democracy. Yes, totally. <clears throat> Can you yes, explain what's you? I mean, it's a powerful story. Just to hear this story ha- has some transmission of how something can come out of a diversity uh, that uh, is, cannot be done in any other way. What is your interpretation? What, are, what is understanding what this is and why this is important? Uh, well, part of, well, there's many, 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 many answers to that question. When you say this, you're talking about McLean's or you're talking yes. about the whole idea. Yes, okay. So McLean's, is a piece of a puzzle of collective sense-making. We have a lot of knowledge in this, in the field of dialogue deliberation, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we have 
a lot of experience, different people, different, have different methods and all that of what to do with groups of people in a room. Mm-hmm. And your, you know, um, emergent dialogues, another form of that when it's a powerful form. I've talked to you about its relationship to another process called dynamic facilitation, uh, which again creates, it can create out of ordinary people breakthrough understandings, breakthrough possibilities to be able to know how to do that in a room. But then we have cities and countries of millions of people. How do you upscale that? How do you scale mm-hmm. that to that size? And McLean's gift, their process, we've gone so far beyond what we knew in 1991 about at the process level, what to do in the room, uh-huh. but we haven't gotten that far <clears throat> What McQueen's did was breakthrough in terms of the holopticism dimension, using media to have people vicariously witness something they'd never witnessed before. Uh-huh. And there's lots of issues involved in that, but just that, how do we do that? What is, what is modern communications systems? What capacities, how would we go about trying to replicate what McQueen's does with that, you know? That's, that's where McQueen's fits in a larger puzzle of sense-making. We want to have powerful stuff to go on the room. We want to be able to have it visible to millions of people so that they are vicariously participating in it. And we want to have informational ways of getting information that are useful for having a productive outcome. Uh, we want to have ways where people, when they're interested in this topic or when they've seen this McLean's kind of uh, interaction where they can get together with other people and actually talk about it themselves. We need ways and to be able, this is part of my collective sense-making system I came up with within the last year or so. Uh, We want to be able to have all the people, all the different methodologies, each of which has our own special gifts, to have an issue being talked about in all these many different ways. And one of the questions is, what do we do then? How do we integrate all that? Well, this Paulist online polling, participatory polling thing I talked about is a way to do that. The people come out of their many different kinds of conversations and then you tap their individual consciousness for insights that they've gotten through all that. And then the AI is in the background putting it all together and coming up with, here's the pattern of all these beliefs you're starting to build something which is much bigger than any of its parts there's lots of synergy and then moving into how to how to have all that which is at a we the people kind of level of democracy mm-hmm. how do we actually get stuff done as a result of that mm-hmm. is anyone one, prototyping something something like that or is this just a vision that you are having as a a potential new form of democracy. There are little bits and pieces creeping in of combining the little parts, but there hasn't, because they don't have the inquiry that I'm following, Mm -hmm. there's nobody that I know of that is other than me that is envisioning this kind of thing and trying to put it into practice. I do have a couple of colleagues who want to try some prototype, you know, prototyping some examples of this, but it's extremely complex to do in practice and you need resources to pull it off. 
and it'd be nice to have volunteer resources, but nobody, there's nobody in this field looking at it and going, oh, well, let's do that. There's in any quantity, activists, the people who have the passion to get something to happen in society are overwhelmingly activists who are, you know, have their agenda, mm -hmm. don't actually want the whole, they don't know what that's all about, you know, or people who are in like consultancy kind of, you know, conditions who don't, who aren't thinking of what's the strategy to actually make the big things happen. They're thinking mm -hmm. about what are the ways to do my job better. <laughs> but aren't we, and on the other hand, right now to also come back to the meaning crisis, uh, in a, in a collective global form of meaning crisis that is urgently seeking for ways to respond that uh, would make it more likely that kind of attempts like yours uh, are at least tried out because it seems uh, it's very obvious that a lot of other stuff is failing right now. Yeah, well, I, <clears throat> I would love to be an inquiry with people who who love this inquiry, how mm -hmm. to invoke and engage the wisdom and resourcefulness of the whole on behalf of the whole thing. If a lot of people got what that is about and went, yes, that's what we need. And there were resources available for that. It's like looking, um, a colleague and I convened a conference 13 years ago on, for philanthropists because philanthropy is not oriented to serve what's needed right now. Philanthropy is, like the, the serving people who are suffering is different from changing the systems that cause people to suffer, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's a different level of, of intervention and transforming, not just changing the systems, but transforming the culture uh, that those are different levels of intervention in what's mm -hmm. going on. And so for me, <laughs> it feels like some people would go, what would you do if you had, you know, a hundred million dollars? And I go, that's not really the question. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not some one thing that I would do with millions of dollars. It's a community of people who get what this is about, who then use, evoke and engage the wisdom of their whole <laughs> on behalf of the whole. <laughs> but, but interesting, it seems the way you're describing this story from this uh, Canadian magazine, Uh, uh, and the way you, you're describing how it unfolds, it seems to be very obvious that there is a huge potential in that that is also re yeah, yeah. replicable. It's, uh, there's something yeah, in yeah, it yeah, yeah. where yeah. you can do something with it. And my question is, uh, is there nobody picking up on that at, as far as you see? What I would invite you to do is go on. It's the, the initiative they did was called Uh, the People's Verdict. That's the initiative that McQueen's did. And go on Google and look up McQueen's The People's Verdict and see how many of the, of the pages that come up are not related to Tom Atlee. There's hardly any. Mm -hmm. I, at the National Coalition for Dialogue and Deliberation conferences I go to, I show the magazine. I have As far as I know, the last two copies of the magazine in existence, I have PDFs on my website and show the magazine and talk it and people are really interested and then it disappears. They don't, they can't keep thinking about it. Just, oh, that's an interesting thing. Mm -hmm. But it's like, there's something, 
because I'm so immersed in it, I don't know what it is about it that they don't understand because it seems so obvious to me. And also to note, and I know it's getting near the end of our time, but there are uh, three or four other initiatives uh, and emergences around the world that are of comparable magnitude and importance as what McLean's did, mm -hmm. uh, which have, they're, they're not the answer, but they're a major piece of the answer. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you so, maybe uh, let's make some time. Uh, uh, maybe uh, if you want to mention one or the other, so that we have some other examples of what you're pointing to here. Probably the biggest one, which answers some of the questions about McLean's, also, is that around the world, multi-sector, multi-stakeholder, multi-scale networks in particular issue domains are trying to collaborate to have shared impact on that issue domain. So from my wholeness perspective, it's like the people who are working in a particular issue domain, food systems is one of the most obvious ones uh -huh. that's happening a lot. So there's many different players creating what's going on in food systems. And like the this, uh, all 17 of the UN Sustainable Development Goals have multiple players who are involved in each one of those Sustainable Development Goals. And with nobody saying, here's what you should do, they are beginning to get together the different players who are often fighting each other mm -hmm. in the actual world, trying to, do, to have impact on that Sustainable Development Goal that they're all connected to. And what has been observed, one of the, my colleagues who actually works with, in the UN with those sustainable development goals is saying, this is emerging by itself in each of the sustainable development goals. And this is a new form of governance. Uh -huh. It is not being recognized even by the people who are doing it. They don't recognize that they are becoming a new form of governance. And when I ran into this and I had another colleague, this was three, four years ago, another colleague who was seeing that in her own work with food systems, who said, this is a new form of governance that's emerging. And it's like, whoa, it's coming from two totally different people. And we, we had a set, made a session about this at a conference on innovations and democracy, the leading edge of democracy. And there were 200 people at the conference and seven of them came to our session which was like people didn't know how to think about this as a democracy, but it's democracy because one of the definitions of democracy is those people who are involved in, a, in, a, in an area and a decision should be part of making the decision. Mm -hmm. you know, those impacted. And so that's the stakeholders. It's a stakeholder form of democracy. So having, having something like the McLeans be part of the we the people dimension of democracy which provides sort of values guidance and visionary guidance. This is what the people as a whole want. And then there's the stakeholders that are already there in the situation, learning what the people want and using that as part of their on the ground work that suddenly gets away from the people want this and they ask the government to do something that phenomenon, the people want this, they ask the government, that's, that's the we the people kind of energy. 
you have a right to petition the government, you know, but who's going to actually do it when you have multi-sector, multi-stakeholder, you already including and going beyond, include and transcend government as we know it. You know, the government is a sector yeah. and government agencies are stakeholders. So this is another putting McLean's together with the multi, multi-sector, multi-stakeholder, multi-scale yeah. networks, you know, and then there's these other ones, which are, you know, there's stuff going on in Taiwan, there's stuff going on in Austria uh, that are other pieces of the puzzle that are very compelling. Uh, so. Um, as we are also yeah. at the end of our time, uh, <laughs> thank you very much for this journey. I think it was very insightful where you led us here. And uh, it really uh, brought us from a different understanding of wholeness and multi-stakeholder also uh, a vision uh, what some dimensions of a wise democracy can look like and how something maybe is emerging, maybe to some degree without us even being aware of it, right. that it is emerging. So thank you very much for that. Thank you. Yeah.